So when you think about marketing, it is not so much about consumption. It is much more about choice. It is what we do in marketing. We don't directly drive consumption, but what we can do is affect choice. So to think about what you do through a word that actually relates to the function and to the skills that you need to do it, to me seems to be a good thing. So that's why I sort of suggest that we should be choice-centric, to focus on the choices that people make rather than focusing on what they consume. And with that, we thank you for the choice that you've made to join us for the special edition of Behavioral Grooves Grooving Session. Yeah, we know that there's a lot of podcasts out there, and we're really pleased and grateful that you chose us. So welcome to our standalone grooving session on Matthew Wilcox. I'm Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. In this episode, Kurt and I are grooving on the conversation we had with the amazing marketing dude, Matthew Wilcox, the author of The Business of Choice, Marketing to Consumers' Instincts. Our conversation with Matthew went down many rabbit holes. And while we did that, we also learned about his reframing marketing as a choice, his lens model, and some other interesting stories. So now it's time to get into what we thought about the conversation with Matthew. So let's discuss what we learned, have a free-flowing conversation, and talk about whatever else comes into our choicely modified muddled brains. That was muddled as ever, man. But it was, all right, beyond my bad little uh, choice thing there. What, what was cool about this for you, Tim? I loved that introducing the idea of marketing as a choice. It's always been a choice, hasn't it? Uh, you yeah, can choose to market or not market, right? <laughs> or And you certainly can use your marketing dollars to focus on whatever. But I love that <laughs> it's a great reframe. For me, Like mm. this is a great reframe on thinking about the classic marketing idea of what are you going to do with your marketing dollars? You're going to actually try to help people make make good choices. I thought that that was, that was just fantastic. Yeah. So it's going beyond the four P's, right? And it's looking at things from a human centric perspective. It's the idea that when marketing is thinking about what they're trying to do, it's about giving people the, the information that will then lead them to choose their product, their service, whatever it is that they're doing above or beyond other choices. And it's not just choices of other products, sometimes it's choices of not doing anything at all. Sometimes it's choices of different aspects. So the reframe, I think, is really key here. And I think it's a really cool aspect of what Matthew is talking about. You also use the word lead to, and that reminds me of the way Matthew talks about it's the pathway to the final choice. It's that, yeah, like, let's think about marketing as a pathway, not just, oh, how can we get somebody to do this? But how can we use what I mean, we've done episodes on priming and framing and all kinds of things that are that happen a moment before, a day before, a week before, months before that actual decision is made. And I think that this is that he's teeing up this pathway idea in a beautiful way. Yeah. And I, th- I love how it considers human nature, culture, context, all of those aspects in it. And to think we have a lot of choices in our lives. And what is interesting is why did I choose to listen to this podcast or buy that product or subscribe to that newsletter? What what was the the choice and what led up to that choice? And I love this idea yeah. of pathway, this idea that it's not just that 
in the moment decision. It is everything that leads up to that moment, that pathway. It's a really interesting piece when we think about what I consider what would traditional marketing would be. Now, granted, I, I have an MBA with a marketing emphasis, but I've never really worked in marketing. So I might be way off on my basis of this. Probably I'm way off on my basis of this. <laughs> but, but, but go ahead. But I'll blather on anyway, right? This is how we this is what we do. Right. But but marketing, it, when we reframe it this way, it just gives a different perspective, I think. And a, and that different perspective provides us with different ways of thinking about what what we're doing as marketers. And and you and I are marketers in our own right because we have our own consultancies. We have this podcast that we need to market. And we, we're not very good at marketing, I think, in some instances. And maybe it's because we're not viewing this as a way, a, a model of getting people uh, to think about the choices that they have and to choose ours above the other options that they have. Yeah, it's the uh, maybe behavioral growth is like the stairway to heaven. It's not heaven itself, but it's just the way to get there. <laughs> you know? But you, but but you're right. Wait, wait, wait! I need to just go back to that. <laughs> behavioral grooves is the stairway to heaven, not yeah. heaven itself. Yeah, I like well, that. There we go. I think that's our new that's our new tagline. <laughs> the stairway to heaven, <laughs> not heaven itself. I like that. There we go. Uh, it's just just a way of reframing this. But uh, when we were talking about this earlier, Kurt, I, I love that when we're talking about the application of this particular part, it's really the difference between uh, buying and consuming. Right, that these are very very different actions, and we can start thinking about marketing not just as a purchase function, but as a consumption function. How do we actually get people to choose in, in the moment that they're going to consume? Yeah. You know, and, and that takes a pathway. That takes, that takes laying out a variety of different prompts and, uh, and primes to get people, to get me as a consumer to think about at the moment that I'm going to consume something that I may have already purchased, what am I going to choose? What am I choosing in that moment? Getting back to this, this idea of choice. And, and yeah. I think that that's a, a great, that's a great frame to, to think about as a marketer. How can well, I get someone a, to choose? And, and one of the things that I like about Matthew's work is that he's focusing in on marketing, but it's really about influence. I mean, if we really break this down, it is about influence. If I'm trying to get somebody to do something and they have a choice in that matter, in other words, that I'm not putting a gun to their head and saying, do this or you're, even then, I guess they do have a choice. Yeah, it's, a choice. It's, it's, yeah. not yeah. not really, but you know, <laughs> but but you, if you're trying to influence somebody to do something or a person to buy something, right? There are all of these factors that come into play, and it's that pathway, as you said. And so it's this idea that to apply this to, to apply this into our our lives, right? If you're a marketer, maybe it's reframing how you think about the what you're trying to do. And it's this idea of you're trying to get people to choose your product above other options that they have. Same thing if you're trying to influence somebody. What what are the choices that they have? I think this is fantastic because it lays out this whole element of looking at the context that they're in and looking at the choices that they have within that context. And that's a that's a big piece. So you know, when you're thinking about applying this, think about how you're framing the, what you're doing and are you bringing that choice factor into it? What else, Tim? What else do we want to talk about? How about the lens model? The pretty, what pretty model? Great. The lens model. 
Yeah, la, oh, la, 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 like, 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 like my lenses in my glasses, right? That's sort what we're of, looking through. Yeah. Which I, I kind of love the metaphor side of that. Mm-hmm. I, I think Matthew did a, did a great job. But it, it's, it's a great model. I, I, I guess that's what I, what I think. I think it's a great model for design, right? Yeah. I, I think that if you're thinking about designing a program, um, d- designing some kind of a, a, a marketing plan, Lens is a is a, a good tool to be thinking about. I'm not sure if it's so good at diagnosing for from a behavioral science perspective and intervention, but it's a good design tool. Okay, so let's go over lens really quick. So L E N S L stands for loss, loss aversion. So we can look at the way that people are going to be viewing this. Is there a loss, and and how do you tap into that loss aversion factor that people are are doing? E is for ease, obviously. Ease, the easier it is to choose your whatever it would be, product, you know, training, service, podcast, the, the more Re- reducing the friction. Yeah. Reducing friction, right? N now and near this temporal discounting component. It's there's a distance factor. Is if I have to travel to get to it, or if it's immediately in front of me, there's differences in how I then consume that and choose that, right? So there's that. And then there's this idea of as social or self, this social proof, this social identity that we have, our self-identity. How does this tie into both of those? And is there aspects of that? So that's the lens model. Discuss. <laughs> Among yourselves. So, Oh, no. Uh, I was talking about you. Oh, you yeah. That's, that's, that's for me. I, so, again, I think of this as a really great model to be thinking about if you're designing a marketing program to say, Okay, is there a social aspect to what I'm trying to do? Is there is in this persuasion model, in this marketing pathway that I'm creating, is there a social proof side of it? Is there an aspect of happening now or near? Is there that proximity effect? Can yeah. I can I actually influence people by by that proximity uh, aspect of it? Um, well, and, and, and I think that those are important things to just be asking as you're designing the program. I think that's really cool. And I think the proximity one was one that that caught me off guard. And and I think it's really important and one that I don't know if we think about enough. This idea of proximity and and proximity I know people immediately go to the physical proximity of something, yeah. right? Like all right, if I'm hungry and you're McDonald's and you're trying to get me to satisfy my hunger, choose McDonald's to satisfy my hunger. Well, it makes a difference if if I'm in the car and I'm already traveling or if I have to actually get in the car and drive 10 minutes to the nearest McDonald's, that's probably it's going to it's a bigger friction point than if, you know, I'm right next to the McDonald's and I'm hungry driving on the roadway and different pieces. And I think there's that physical piece and you can take that analogy and apply it to a number of different things. I'm in the supermarket, I'm there, it's close, different things. But I also think there's this mental proximity. There is this idea of how readily available is that in my brain, right? How how do we, uh, if I'm thinking of being hungry, what comes to mind and what is that proximity this idea of both from a from a location and you know all right that those are the things that come up in my my head and this is a different way of talking about recall and various different aspects of that but i think it's yeah. really it's a nice way of thinking about that so and i think that's often overlooked in our in our choice options and and you talked earlier about choosing uh, the consumption aspect versus the 
the buying decision. And I think that happens in both, right? There's the, there's a time factor. There's a proximity factor from a location component with that. One of the things about ease is that I think that um, we often forget, and Roger Dooley does a good job in, in his book, Friction, and talking about this, but there are times when it's not just about making it easy and reducing friction, but there could be times when you actually want to increase friction. You want to make it more difficult. You want to engage someone's uh, system two thinking more you know, reflective, more, uh, more thoughtful, more intentional rather than just that that system one automatic, super easy kind of thing. That's an important thing to be thinking about uh, as you're designing. And it has to fit with your brand. It needs to fit with your sort of uh, culture and what you're trying to create around that brand. Uh, whether or not that friction, you might actually enhance the pathway if you if you make it more difficult. And I think particularly as we think about some of the, the buying decisions that people are making, right? We are often in a automatic buying decision on the brand that I am currently used to, right? So I go to the store, I'm going to buy a diet or a Coke Zero, right? And if I can put some friction, if I'm a competitor and I need to break into a market, I need to put some friction and and maybe make it not as easy to buy that so that I am you know, I'm being considered, my product is being considered in that purchase decision versus the one that is an automatic. I love that idea of adding that in to think about this from a system two perspective as opposed to system one. And of course, when we, any, anytime we talk about friction, I have to bring up Kurt Lewin, right? Because it's this idea of driving forces versus restraining forces. And this idea of, all right, so we often focus in on the driving forces. What can we get to people to do? But oftentimes it's a lot easier and a lot more effective if we can remove the restraining forces from what is keeping somebody from buying our product, from choosing our product in the way that we're looking at. So Harry's Razor did a great job when they came on the market a few years ago uh, to differentiate themselves from all the other brands. You could only buy it directly from Harry's, from the company that, that created it. And so that meant having to go online and place an order online. You couldn't go to a retail store. And that allowed them to call out in their marketing some very specific things about pricing and value and things like that. But they made it sort of exclusive. And now it's it's available in many retail outlets. So they've reduced the friction now to, to expand their market. But initially, they actually increased friction and it, and it was very successful for them. Yeah. Well, and so just think about, so that you have the lens model, but there's also the East model. There's some other models when we're thinking behavioral science and we're talking about this. Yeah. But I, I do agree with you. I love this idea of having lens as this design factor. The the one piece, I mean, he starts off with L with this loss aversion. I just have to say, I'm that's the weakest link in, in the model for me. And here's the reason why is because while loss aversion has been shown to be very, you know, obviously that pain of loss being twice as much as the significant or the equivalent gain or pleasure that you get from gain, the the idea that you use loss all the time, I think, is is not necessarily true. And I, I, I just know this from work that I've done inside of organizations where we try to do a loss message and it can actually backfire because you have to look at the context within the culture that that organization is in. If they are already fearful, if they're already on edge and you put a loss message out there, it can throw them into this like paralysis. This, you know, you might actually get people leaving in various different pieces, depending on how 
big the messages that you're trying to do and and depending on how you frame it and and sometimes you want to frame things from a positive perspective because it influences how people perceive it so if you're thinking of your brand you want to make sure that you're on target with that brand and sometimes having a loss in element of that may not be the best aspect for the overarching component of that that's my my two cents on that so, all right. So how do we apply this, Tim? Well, it's important for marketers to be thinking about lens specifically in the design function. Uh, I, I mentioned that for diagnosing problems, Combi might be a really good tool to use. But if you're in the process of designing your campaign, uh, you're, you're looking to design for influencers or salespeople or, you know, whatever. Think about these four tools as a way to process your, your thinking about how to design that that program. And uh, I think especially the ease now, near and social are just particularly powerful. A- any yeah. other thoughts on that, Kurt? No, I think you, you talked about designing for a marketing campaign. I think it's also good from a designer perspective, whether or not you're in marketing or not. Uh, influencers, if you're trying to influence somebody, uh, sales, you know, again, thinking through the lens model can help you with that. So. Here's another piece of this that I found really interesting, this idea that cognitive biases as design features. And actually, let's listen to how Matthew talks about this, because I think he lays it out really good. Yeah, he was he he was relating a conversation he had with uh, uh, Vlad Griskoviskus, I think it was. Yeah, let's listen to that now. He kind of he said, you know, I don't think of cognitive biases as design flaws. I think of them as design features which I think is a beautiful way of expressing this sort of thing, which can be to think of bias thinking as a flaw. All right. So what I love about this is this idea that, look, all of our, all of these biases that we have, they're not necessarily, you know, things that are design flaws. They are actually just aspects of who we are. This is how we've evolved. And so just the framework, again, it all comes down to framing. How are we framing these? If we're framing these as flaws, that means we need to to overcome them or do different things. If we're kind of framing these as features, that means that we can, how do we utilize these? And I love just that difference in how you're framing the concept. Yeah, I, I read a critical article recently on how behavioral science is kind of painted a picture of the human condition as being, you know, this blubbery flub mass of indecision and inability to really make good decisions. And that's not the case. Like we still have evolved pretty well over the years. And so we have evolutionary psychology to point to all the successes that we've had. And and it, and it's good to remember that. So what Matthew brings up as, uh, again, it's a reframe of changing the cognitive biases to reframe it as design features was something that really influenced me on a positive basis as well, Kurt. That's really all I want to say there. Let's take social proof, for instance, right? We we know that we're influenced by others and how they they make their decisions and what they're doing. And so we can think of that as a, as a flaw, like, oh, well, we should be taking and looking at things from our own perspective, what's good for us in various different aspects. But we know that's not how we work. And so look at O-Power, right? The, this, this idea that hey, we are, we're trying to get people to reduce their energy consumption. And we can talk to them about all the reasons why that is great from an environmental perspective, from a cost savings perspective for, for them as individuals, all of those factors. But what 
OPower did was they used social proof and they they put on the their statements every month is like, how are you compared to your neighbors? And then it got even more specific where, how are you compared to your neighbors that have houses just like yours, right? So you couldn't yeah. do a cognitive dissonance and go, oh, that doesn't matter because you know, Joe next door has a really small house and I have a really big house or he has a new house. I have an, I have an old house. No, they actually take this. So they're using this behavioral feature that we have, the social proof feature and tapping into it. And I love that. I, I think that's a great thing. So has been reported that tool, that be, that little nudge in uh, O-Power's uh, billing cycles has proved to reduce overall consumption among millions of customers by 17%. That's a wow. significant amount of energy when you're talking millions of people, at least in the United States, that you know that use O Power. And and guess what? That feature, that little uh, reporting tool, is now the norm in many many power companies, uh, at all least right. in the United States. So yeah, it, it's it's a fabulous tool. So let's apply this. All right. So one, learn about cognitive biases. So they're out there. They they exist. Right. We have them. So listen to behavioral grooves because we talk about these every time. So. The more you listen, the more you'll know. You can also listen to other podcasts that are out there. There's some of them are pretty good. If, if you, you can read to. books, all right, and like look and see our episode on best books. We'll have a show notes and link to that. But we have we've have a number of different ones about uh, the best books of behavioral science books of the year. So read those and read articles, and we'll put some links of those to you know from just the show notes that we've had. We we often link in different articles and different things. So. Go through our website and look at all that stuff. I think that there's one really way to apply this right there. What else, Tim? Let, let's just get to the big takeaways here because you've nailed all, all of the important things regarding the design function. So the big thing that Matthew re stresses is that marketers can reframe the way that they think about marketing as a choice and not just about consumption. I think that that's, that's maybe the, the first really big thing. And then the second great thing is his lens model. I think we should not forget and not uh, push to the side, but absolutely use, if you're designing a marketing program, loss, ease, now, near, and social self. Okay. Yeah. And, and lastly, I, I would just say that uh, marketers need to be think about, thinking about that path to persuasion. Think about our cognitive biases as design features and not detriments. So so bring those together in your marketing mind as you're going to work uh, in, in your... Um, you know, your, your next day at work, think, think about these kinds of things to make your job more effective. All right. So with that, we want to thank you for listening to our grooving session about Matthew Wilcox's episode. Again, if you didn't listen to the episode, it's the one right before this. So go and listen to that and remind you that next week we'll be talking to Ben Parr, the big thinker and author of Captivology and how we gain and maintain someone's attention, which is a really important thing, Tim, really important to make sure we keep and maintain somebody's attention. I'm sorry. I just got distracted. Did you, there. What yeah, were you talking saying, about? Did, you, did, did you say something? Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. There we go. All right. But for this week, we hope you put some of Matthew's ideas to the test. And as you do, we hope you go out and find your groove.